today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. A story in the Huffington Post today asking the question about whether Canadian officials could do sweeping reforms to erase pot convention, uh, convictions. Some argue, uh, some experts argue, that with the proposed legislation, it's harder to do. So uh, in San Francisco, it seems with a flip of a switch, they've erased all of this. Whereas in Canada, you have to jump through a few more hoops. To talk more about all of this, Matt Maurer is with us, Vice Chair of Cannabis Law Group, uh, Torkin's Mains LLP, and is, or sorry, Torkin Mains LLP. And Matt is with us now. Matt, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. Thanks for having me. So I'm looking at a tweet that uh, Safety Minister Ralph Goodale issued uh, March of, of this year. He said, today I introduced Bill C-93, which would take the unprecedented action to allow people with criminal records uh, only for simple cannabis possession to apply for a pardon and waive the fee and the five to ten year wait period for the first time in history. That seemed uh, for most to be making progress, but not when you compare it to other jurisdictions, I understand. Yeah, it looks like they're doing it a little bit differently down in San Francisco, uh, where it's more of my understanding is it's an automated process uh, as opposed to having to actually go out and apply for it. Uh, Apparently, uh, not many are applying. I I guess only 23 of the estimated 9,400 qualifiers uh, individuals had applied during the first uh, first half of uh, 2018. Uh, This is in San Francisco. That's when they decided to open it up. Are we having the same issues here? Is this just too much work for people? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if any stats have been released, but it wouldn't surprise me if the numbers were similar. You know, like people have to one be aware that this is something they can take advantage of, and then two, they have to go and figure out how they're going to do this, and then three, they have to go through the process. So, um, all of those things are uh, impediments to getting it done. And you know, if you don't necessarily need to go out and do it right away, um, it, it it probably isn't something you're racing out to do. Uh, so what is the process under C-93 now? How has that? How has it been made easier? So I'm not, uh, you're talking about the one up in, in up here, down in San Francisco? No, up here, yeah. So I, I don't know the intricate details of it, but my understanding is that, you know, there's normally a waiting period before you can apply for a pardon. There's normally a fee you have to pay. Both of those have been waived, but you still have to go through an application process, and I don't know all the details of it. I don't imagine it's too onerous. But you still actually actually have to actively seek out the application and 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 fill it out and process it. Whereas down in the states, uh, in San Francisco, I think what they've done is they said, "Well, we're not getting the participation we thought. We can do this ourselves. So let's just you know go through the system, find all the people that are eligible, and just you know pardon them or expunge the convictions, as the case may be, with what they're doing down there, and make it automated so people don't have to do anything." Uh, is it true that with the Canadian uh, scenario that even though you have a pardon, it still is on your record? Yeah, so there's, you know, uh, debate about what the government should be doing. And my understanding is that there is a difference between a pardon, which is what's being offered, and basically expunging the charge. Uh, because expunging the charge, my understanding is once that's done, it's it's like it never existed. Whereas with a pardon... I think there's some instances where, let's say you're applying for a job, um, they might ask you, have you been uh, convicted of an offense for which you've been pardoned? And perhaps you have to now disclose that, where I believe my understanding is that if it's expunged, it's like it never happened at all in the first place, whereas a pardon is 
it happened, but you've been forgiven, for, for lack of a better word. So basically, with the expungements, they're basically just deleting the record, just deleting the whole file, it appears. Right, you know, more or less. And that's what the activists and people that are behind cam- cannabis amnesty are pushing for, is, you know, basically a complete undo of these things that are no longer, are, you know, our society doesn't view this as criminal behavior anymore. So if you did something... 20 years ago that is now not considered criminal behavior, you know, query whether you should still be quote unquote punished for it and have to live with it. If our society has changed our views on that, why should we keep punishing people for something that is no longer something that we deem uh, punish worthy? Is there any reason for government to act on this or not act on this? Does it help them in any way? Is this just a service they're doing to those with convictions? Uh, it's an interesting question. I think, you know, politically it might help. Some might say it could hurt, depending on, you know, what the public sentiment is about doing this. Um, I think, you know, doing it from an automated point of view, um, it seems very easy and, you know, like, why don't we just do that? Um, I suspect, and, you know, look, a decade of litigating disputes in our court system, I can tell you that some of the government's record keeping is atrocious. And um, it might not be so easy up here to just look them all up and delete all the convictions like they did in San Francisco. So maybe it's an option, but it might be something that's more difficult than people think just from an administrative perspective, because our government resources have been taxed so long that, you know, a lot of the times they're just way out of date. and They're just not able to do things that anyone, you know, with common sense would think they should be able to do. Uh, Cost savings for the government if they eliminate this, or is it going to cost the money to eliminate this? Um, I don't know. I can't think of any cost savings off the top of my head because really these are people that have been charged, convicted, and they're just living with the aftermath of that. Um, so I would say, if anything, there's probably a cost to the government because there's an administrative cost of, you know, undoing all of these charges that exist. Uh, how come San Francisco's got a grip on this? Other places don't seem to. Why, why would they be at the cutting edge of all of this? What have they done? That, will others follow suit, do you think? Is it this easy? Is it that easy? I think if it's, if it's administratively possible, I could see other, other jurisdictions following suit. You know, San Francisco has a long-standing uh, cannabis culture, and they've been progressive on a variety of fronts. So it doesn't surprise me that San Francisco is a jurisdiction that, um, you know, is able to do this and is, and is willing to do this. Uh, and this is just for simple possession, I understand, correct? Correct. Uh, any chance in, that you see in the future that them going deeper into this and relaxing uh, convic- uh, convictions? I don't, I, I don't see them changing like the nature of the offense that they're forgiving anytime soon. I think, you know, they came out and they legalized recreational use and people, some people were jumping up and down and saying, why aren't you expunging the convictions for things that are now legal? Um, and they said, you know, we've got a lot on our plate, give us time. And now they're, now they're coming around and doing that. But, you know, the next step after possession is, are we going to forgive trafficking charges and things like that? And I think for a variety of reasons, that's a much tougher road to hoe. It's politically much more sensitive. And, you know, depending on your point of view, and everyone's entitled to their own point of view, it's, it's something that is not as easily, uh, to forgive it is not as easily defensible, I think, for the government. Is there any reason why the uh, government can't do exactly what San Francisco has done and, and just say, you know, we're deleting these files? Not that I know of, aside from, again, maybe administratively, it's, it's 
their systems just not designed to um, to 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 access these records and to find out, you know, pull up a database of of everyone who um, who has a charge. Like, look, if you want to garnish, if you get a civil judgment in this in this province and you want to take the money out of someone's bank account, you can't even go to the to the government and say, you know, I know they bank at RBC. I want to take the money out of the account. You have to find the specific location, the branch where the where the account was open and open in order to take the money because the systems are just not that sophisticated. Hmm. So you know that gives you an idea of. You would think that they could just you know hit a hit a few strokes on the keyboard and bring up all the charges, but their system might not be designed for that. But if it is, again, I don't see why they couldn't do it if they wanted to do it. Uh, considering this, as you mentioned, is all legal now in this country, is it still a big deal having this on your record? Uh, are, are these situations that have to be rectified, or does the record matter anymore simply because it's now been legalized? So is, is, like, are there situations where this still would create problems for people? I think, you know, it. it I think it's becoming less and less that it will create problems. I think... Some people still have um, and will have for some time, you know, sort of preconceptions about what cannabis is about and what possession's about. So, yeah, if you have to answer on a job application and your potential employer is predisposed against it, it, it could be a problem for you still. And I think what the activists are saying is, you know, why not take it away? Like, why are we still punishing people for something, you know, uh, that, that they can't be punished for today? What about people that st- that may be incarcerated at this point? Would that be possible? It would be possible. I think that starts getting a little bit more tricky. And when you talk about, you know, will the government is there savings? You know, sure. If they start releasing people that are in jail on simple possession charges, like the cost of incarcerating someone is astronomical. So, um, releasing people um, from penitentiary sentences for this um, would certainly save them money. But I think it's it adds another level of complexity to getting to getting this done. What about you talked about employment issues, uh, you know, uh, going for a job and such where this could be an issue. What about border crossing? I mean, how does it how does one of these convictions complicate that? Sure. I don't know exactly what what the U.S. government um, is interested in necessarily at the border, but it's certainly within their right to ask questions about have you ever been charged um you know, for an offense. And I think a lot of people are used to seeing, you know, when you look on a job application on a, on a fairly basic one, you know, if you think back to like when you were younger, if, if you're older like me and you're applying for a retail job and it says right on the application, have you ever been charged with an offense for which you have not been pardoned? You know, if you've been pardoned, then great, you can say no. But there are some applications, jobs, perhaps housing, um, where they say, have you ever been charged with an offense? Like I've seen applications for government licenses, for example, and they don't care if you've been pardoned or even if you were convicted. They just want to know if you've ever been charged. And I think uh, my understanding is that if you expunge it, it would allow people to say no. So that would apply. You could honestly say to a border crossing guard, no, never been charged. Um, you know, housing, job application, financial institutions, whatever the case may be. So if my understanding is correct. You'd be able to say no to all those things once it's happened, whereas otherwise you might not be able to. Under the new system uh, that uh, the safety minister is talking about here, uh, any idea how long it would take to go through this process? I don't. I, I don't expect it would be very long once you put the application in. But, you know, look, with government 
anything's possible. Uh, you can be pleasantly surprised with a quick turnaround, or um, it can be months and months on end for no apparent reason. Does it matter if you've been pardoned? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, is that going to amount to much? Or especially the fact that it has now been legalized. I mean, at the end of the day, either it's on the record or it's off the record. If it's on there in the, in the form of a pardon, I mean, is that really helping anybody? Well, I think it's two things. I think, one, it's a, a statement by the government that they're forgiving these offenses and that they're no longer you know, choosing to hold it against you. And two, when you do have situations where you're asked questions about offenses for which you've been convicted, for which you have not been pardoned, well, now you can say you don't have to disclose anything because you have, in fact, been pardoned. Will this get more complicated before it gets easier, or is this the line in the sand and they won't take it any farther than this? No, I think I think there's still potentially ways to go. I think, you know, it might. For all I know, it didn't occur to them to just do it automatically. They never had that discussion. And now that we see San Francisco's doing it, you know, maybe if it's possible, who knows? Two, three weeks from now, they could come out and say, you know what, we're able to do that as well, and and we're going to do that. You know, uh, anything's possible. Much demand for this sort of thing? I mean, you know, lots of, as you said, supporters of all of this way back when said, oh, if you're going to legalize this, you got to get rid of uh, uh, these convictions as well. Although, again, with the, you know, situation only 23 of an estimated 9,400 qualifiers, this down in uh, San Francisco. I mean, if there's, if there's that small amount, is it really a priority for them? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, think about someone, you know, let's, come up with a hypothetical example where you're charged with possession in high school or university and you've got a job now and you've got a stable life and it doesn't impact you so are you going to run out and try to figure out how to apply and get it pardoned probably not you're just going to go about your life and that that results in low application numbers however if the government you know sent you a letter and said we're automatically going to expunge your conviction you don't have to do anything I don't think anyone's going to write back and say, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Like, you know, like they'd be very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, in the end, if it costs more money, can you really see this being a priority for government? No, I think, uh, I think if it costs more money, doing sort of an automatic expungement uh, or pardon, if you will, um, wouldn't be a priority. And I think, you know, if, especially if you didn't have people like cannabis uh, amnesty pushing to have this changed, um, you know, maybe this isn't something they would have done at all without people pushing out a change. So I think it's good that there's a group of people in an organization that's pushing to get this done um, to keep it on the government's radar. Uh, do you think when the government got into all of this that they anticipated this ask? They must have. They must have, um, but it's possible that they didn't. Like, legalization is complicated, and you know, we've talked a few times in the last year about a variety of topics, you know, border crossing, advertising, lottery winners and retail, uh, pardons, convictions. And so a lot of it, I think, you know, we and, and I say we as a society, including the government, we're figuring it out as we go because we can't predict everything that happens. So you would think that this would have been on their radar in advance. But if it wasn't, it's conceivable that it wasn't. And then they say, you know, we probably should probably do something about this because there's people that this is important to, and there's really no reason for us not to do it.
Uh, hasn't been a lot of chatter about this stuff uh, other than after it was first legalized and I guess people were whining about supply. Uh, now we're uh, bearing down on April 1st when these uh, uh, retail places will be allowed to open. Do you anticipate anything magical happening after April 1st? Any problems? or How do you think this is going to go? In terms of the retail or the, or the pardons? In the retail. It's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be, I think, you know, look, there's 25 that are... Uh, Potentially, we'll be able to open by then. I think as of right now, there's three that have all the licenses they need. I think you'll probably see double digits that will be ready to open around April 1st or shortly thereafter. And uh, look, I think from the public's perception, you're not going to see too many problems. I think um, the government's doing a very good job of being thorough with the applications. I think the stores have very strict requirements. So once they're built and open, um, you know, who knows about the supply and demand? Well, you know, that's something we'll have to see. But I think from a from a licensing and a getting them open standpoint, once they're open, it'll be pretty stable. Uh, when this was all first brought about, uh, everyone was talking about how the whole idea was to curb the black market and get it out of the black market hands. It just seems odd, especially when you brought up supply and demand, that they've legalized something and then made it impossible to get. Does that not only help the black market? It certainly doesn't doesn't help the legal market, does it? You know, and it's a combination of things. And you can't I don't think you can blame the the federal government um, for this problem. You know, you could say, look, they could have licensed people faster, but there's only so many resources. If, If I told you, you know, are you prepared to increase your income tax so that we can license more cannabis producers? You'd look at me like I had three heads. Yeah. So if, you know, they, I think they did what they could with the resources. I think there's problems with the producers as well, getting their feet underneath them. There's problems with the distribution and the rollout. But look, there's more products coming online later this year, edibles and topicals and um, vapes and things like that. And I think the supply is going to only get better. And I think when we actually have stores in, in, in the province, instead of just having a website that wasn't very good in terms of delivery in the first, you know, few weeks or a month. I think it'll be a lot easier. And I think the, the black market will gradually get, uh, you know, eroded to the point where there just really isn't any. It's going to take some time. But I think more products, more bricks and mortar stores, more supply in general is are all going to just contribute to um, pushing the black market out. Anybody who's already indulging in this is already indulging in the black market. Uh, I've had many experts on this show that talk about contraband cigarettes and, and how Ontario can't seem to get a handle on that. Some have said that as much as one in three of cigarettes smoked in this province is contraband. How are they ever going to get a handle on this? Well, I think cigarettes, and I would hope that they learn the lesson from cigarettes, is you know, cigarettes are taxed at an insane rate, and yeah. I don't know what it is anymore, but the actual cost, if you were to go to, I don't even know what a pack of cigarettes costs anymore, but if the percentage of what you're paying in taxes versus anything else is astronomical. And I'm not making a judgment whether that's good or bad, but I'm saying it allows the black market to really come in at a very cheap rate and, and supply um, to people. So, uh, you know, look, when there's more supply, we've seen this in jurisdictions in the United States, the price starts coming down. Um, the government isn't, they've been sensitive, they've explicitly been sensitive to try to not overtax cannabis. And look, is it more expensive than the black market? Sure it is. Is it going to get cheaper? Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes down to it, are you going to want to try to find a dealer and, and save a few bucks? Or are you going to go to the store at the at your street um, because you've got guests coming over and you want to pick up products? 
products, by the way, that are going to be very difficult to get uh, from the black market down mm. the road. So mm. consistent beverages and things like that. Uh, valid point as the market expands. But what about those that already have a foothold in the old in the old system? Those will probably be the last ones kicking around. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll have a good a good go. They're not look. We're not going to get rid of the entire black market overnight this year, probably next year. It's going to take time. And there'll probably always be remnants. But look, you talked about tobacco and there's a good booming black market. I'm not aware of any, you know, thriving bootleg alcohol market. So, good you know, point. maybe we can't do it with cigarettes, but it seems like we've been able to do it with alcohol. So let's follow that blueprint. Matt Maurer has been with us, Vice Chair of Cannabis Law Group at Torkin Mains LLP. Matt, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.